Listener Production. Shares. Market. The S&P. The ISX. Stocks. This is the Motley Fool Money Mailbag. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, our very special, you know it, Sunday Mailbag Edition. It's special because it's Sunday, it's special because it's the Mailbag, and it's special because I'm joined by a very special man, Andrew Page. How are you, buddy? I'm very good. Feeling very special after that you introduction. Are, it's all about very special. I used to work for Heinz back in the day. They had a soup called Heinz Very Special. It was a, oh. fancy, a fancy soup, and you've just reminded me of that, mate, so there you go. <laughs> was it really um, fancy, though? Was it, was it, in, a, was well, it in, a, was it in a tin? Because if it was so in a these, tin, it wasn't fancy. Well, these were, the, these were the early days, mate. So this is, remember, you'll remember because you're old like me, but uh, younger listeners won't know. Remember when it was just condensed soup you had to water down to make? <laughs> Yeah. That was the, that was what soup was. Canned soup was this condensed soup, and they bought it this ready to serve soup, and that was the big innovation. Was you mean I just pour it out of the can and it's ready? It's like yeah, that's really cool. That's why it was very special. <laughs> well, I I can tell you just start off on a tangent that some of my earlier cooking attempts when I was a young younger man leaving <laughs> oh, home very often involved a base of uh, soup and, no, that's and well some meat and veg all thrown in together. <laughs> Quite adept. It's like you know, real yep. lot of a lot of sort of seventies kind of recipes that. Uh, yeah, probably pretty yeah. awful when I think about it, but hold a special place in my heart. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Mate, two-minute noodles, special. All right, um, speaking of special, let's get on to our mailbag, mate, because our listeners are the most special of all. Um, I was going to do a what is strawman.com. I'm going to assume people know what that is because I, I can't even bring myself to ask you other than just to say that uh, Andrew is the managing director and founder of strawman.com. Uh, mate, uh, let's, uh, let, let's get on to our first question. We have from... David, love your service. Thanks, Andrew and Scott. Your advice is always so interesting. Dear, oh dear, he's obviously listening while he's drunk. Uh, he said, I have two questions. First, when you're valuing a company and looking at future earning capacity, I like this question, at what point do you consider the net present value as part of the equation? So I kind of like this idea because we talk a lot about the growth. This goes into our Friday conversation about interest rates in particular, right? Uh, we started talking about the the fact that rates matter and they do mean that future cash flows are worth less. For a long time, that hasn't needed to be a massive part of the calculation. But with higher inflation, potentially higher rates, all of a sudden it does matter, right? $100 mm. now, well, $100 a year ago might be worth $92 now if that annualised mm. inflation comes through. Mm. That's a big deal. So without getting too algebraic and our very first question, net present value just basically reduces a future amount by some arbitrary factor, you can think about how you might do it. But arbitrary, arbitrary factor, is the key word there, but yes. Yes, to, to say, well, okay, if, I'm, if you give me $100 now, it's worth $100. If you ask me $100 in 25 years' time, what's that worth to me? Oh, I might pay $20 if you're going to give me the money then. Would I pay you $50 for that? Not really, because I'd happily spend that money now. Um, so it, it's just to signify that time has value. That's what net present value is supposed to. Net, as in what's left, present, as in the value of it now. And value, of course, we know what that means. Um, what at what point do you put the NPV into your calculation? At what point do you start to think about that discount rate or the amount by which that that money loses value because it's further out into the future? Uh, it depends on how you want to uh, peel the onion. Um, mm -hmm. I, I guess the purists would sort of say you map out cash flow for probably ten years or so, and then you discount each year's cash flow back by by a set rate. You apply a terminal value. It's very hard to do. You know, it's very hard to do verbally. Uh, and then you apply right. a, a discount rate and rah, rah, rah. I've actually, I've actually found myself applying far more simple approaches these days. Okay, I totally. kind of, I try to sort of say, what's the per share earnings of the business now? How is it likely to grow? So maybe I, you know, let's say 
company X has a dollar in earnings per share, it's going to grow at ten percent. Mm-hmm. So it's a dollar ten next year. It's a dollar twenty one the year after that. Yeah, yeah. Dollar thirty two point something. You know, my maths breaks down mm-hmm. at that point. You you go it all out, and then you say you sort of left with a figure of, of what earnings per share looks like in five years time. Say, yeah. And you say, well, given the kind of growth of that company, you know, it's probably. You know, average PE is about 16. I don't know, maybe. There's lots of thumb sucking here. And if it sounds like really unscientific, it's because it is. And then you come you come up with what, by the way, if you know with absolute certainty what the earnings per share of a company will be in 2027 and you know what the PE of that company will be in 2027, guess what? You know exactly what the share price will be because you multiply those two numbers together. It's just a rearrangement of the good old-fashioned PE ratio. So that says, okay, the share price is therefore worth X, you know, whatever that happens to be. And, that, and then I mm. discount that back. And how I discount it back mm. is I don't think too much about inflation. Or, well, I guess it's sort of implicit in it, but I'm really mm. thinking mm. about the mm. return that I want. So if I want a 20% that should return. That change though, right? Because if you're prepared to have a 10% yeah. return normal times, if inflation is 8%, now, after tax, you only get after inflation, you only get two percent return. So, True. to some degree, you would want a higher return if you could get it, and maybe that is the question. You yeah. want a higher return in a high inflation environment, right? Yeah, yeah, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah, it's true. Or you want the money sooner. That that's part of the problem with tech stocks and growth stocks. Yeah. People aren't prepared to wait because yeah. I've got to wait five years for profits at a zero zero inflation, almost zero interest rate environment. That's effectively worth the same as today. If yeah. inflation is eight percent a year for five years, well, those future profits are worth a heap less to me than they used to be. Yeah, yeah, really. I mean, that's why. You said it at the start, arbitrary. And and this is the mistake that too many people make, particularly if you're doing you're studying finance and you, you're fresh out into the world and you start playing around with spreadsheets and you start to convince yourself that this is fact when it's not. It's just a thumb suck. And you can make more complicated thumb sucks, but in fact the irony is is the more complicated your thumb sucking, the more <laughs> the more the more potential uh, points of failure there are. So yeah, exactly. it's all a guess. It's all a total guess. Let's be honest. Let's just lay it out yeah. on the table. No, no one in the industry is going to tell you this. It's yeah. all a guess. One of the questions that come up a lot is just like, I just read a report from JP, oh, pick on two random investment banks, JP Morgan, <laughs> yeah, sure. that said that, said that, that uh, zero is worth, you know, $123. And yet, you know, the guys at Merrill Lynch said it's uh, 72. Uh, how, how are they so different? Yeah. The yeah, answer yeah, is, right. is because they're both thumb sucking, different thumbs. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's all a guess. There's, there's, a, no there's adults. a mental picture for your uh, Sunday afternoon. Dear there are no adults here. There, these are numbers <laughs> that are guesses. And we fr- the more we wrap them in complexity, the more they mm. sound sophisticated and smart and therefore they, they sound right. <laughs> now, that doesn't mean you chuck it yeah. all in the bin. Yeah. I, I yeah. Actually, we were just chatting off air before. I was just mm-hmm. saying to you that I think why well, I love to do it is I use – I love to do – what you probably could call scenario analysis. Mm, mm. I don't know. Maybe it grows like this. Maybe that's the PE. Maybe that's a reasonable discount rate. Boom, boom, boom. Mm. Really easy math. You do it all, spits out a number. Okay, well, maybe I'm too ambitious or maybe I'm not ambitious Mm. enough. Let's try a different set of numbers and another set and another set and another set. And I get this space. I get this mathematical surface area, which I can then sort of look at. And then what's really interesting to me is when I find I do that, and with the range of all the different scenarios I've tested, <laughs> the current share price is at the lower end of that range. It could still totally be wrong. Yeah, yeah. But I have to be really wrong. Yeah, that's right. You know, I don't. I don't that's have right. people feel as though well, we do this on strawman too. We sort of say to people, put in your your valuation. But yeah, you know, that's you might actually have fifty. <laughs> you might have whatever. It's hard to settle. You you kind of at the end of the day, you have to settle on one. But I would encourage people to sort of. So let me let me unpack all of this quickly and succinctly as I can. Don't take it too seriously. Mm-hmm. 
Um, Tell your money. Come up with, come, well, don't, don't, <laughs> conf, don't confuse guesses for facts, I suppose. Yes, yes exactly. Um, uh, t- t- test a variety of mm. scenarios mm. and then compare that with the current price and mm-hmm. go for something which is, I know I say this word a lot, but it's asymmetric. Where where it's it's more likely to work out than not. And that's the best you can. It's mm. the best you mm. can hope for. And the final thing is, is sometimes you'll be doing. It's like I don't even know where to start. I have no idea what this company is going to be doing. In which case, that's an answer in itself. Move on. Yeah, that's Too right, hard. That's right. And mo- not uh, make up another eighty percent of the companies I look at. That's 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 the scenario for me. Mm. I don't know. So I move on. Completely agree. Completely agree. Um, it's yeah. It's it's well worth it's well worth thinking that through. I will say for me. Um, I, I take I, take, I use a rule of thumb which is different but the same as yours, mate. Which is, I've got a dollar to invest. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Excuse me. I'm looking for the best place for that dollar. So here's here's the thing about me, right? To your point about, well, I'm going to go even a further step back and then I'll come off a long run here. We know from behavioural psychology, I've said this before, that when you give people more information, the accuracy of their guesses barely improves, but their level yeah. of confidence improves dramatically. So they think they're more right the more information they have but they're not more right. They're as right as they would have been with two or three bits of information. Yep. You give them seven or eight or 10 or 12, they are no more right. Mm. They are just much more confident, which mm-hmm. is illogical, right? But but mm-hmm. human, that's that's the reality. So there's mm-hmm. that. So second thing, I because of that, in well, not because of that research specifically, but that concept is why I'm always fully invested, almost always fully invested. I don't do cash, right? I can't time the market. People who want to hold cash, you mentioned the other day about, you know, we thought stocks were of value in 2016 and 17 and 18 and 19 mm. as they continue to skyrocket, right? Mm. And mm. and I, I t- trying to time that is really too tough. And you talk about, again, on Friday, you talk about building. Uh, for me, I'm effectively just dollar cost averaging. I'm, in, I'm investing when I've got the money, right? So I don't have to worry about the timing of my cash. Mm. That, so that in that scenario, when I'm buying shares... I'm actually not doing the NPV per se as much as I am simply saying, which is the best idea right now? So I don't have to overcome a given hurdle for my investment. I'm just looking around and going, I've got all these investment options. Which one do I think is most attractive right now in terms of the available options and obviously in the context of my portfolio, I've already got a lot of something I may not add to it, but that's, that's, all, that's all I do. Mm, and so it's mm. less about what discount rate do I use or uh, how much do I discount the future value by because I'm going to buy something anyway. And so if you're applying the same discount rate to all companies, it can be different if the profits are not going to be done for years in the future. So it can impact the result. But I'm normally doing something closer to, at the current price, which one seems to have the best long-term future relative to that price? That's the one I'm buying. And so it, it simplifies a whole lot of that stuff. I don't have to know whether company A is worth $21.50 and the shares are at $23.60 or company B is whatever. You know, It's just a case of, hey, which one is most attractive right now? And so I find for me, that reduces the complexity of decision making and the modelling that I need to do by massive, massive amounts, and that's how I that's how I get through. So same same kind of idea from a, from a slightly different perspective. So, but, but again, we always always reference Uncle Warren, uh, but for good reason. So he 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 doesn't do any of these these right, things. Exactly. People say, oh, he does it in his head because he's a genius. Well, he's probably that's not an unfair label, but it's, <laughs> yeah. it's also because he's he's not doing he's not going Correct. he's not calculating or forecasting cash flows for each individual year that's and right. discounting it that's back right. and adding it all together. He's not doing that. He's probably doing something similar to what I outlined before. Just, you know, on average, probably grow up this rate. Did, you, did, you, just, did you just say Warren Buffett's using your strategies? Is that what you just said? <laughs> no, if anything, Warren's I'm, probably I'm, doing something what I said I do. <laughs> probably, probably, probably take your my approach. You're, you're welcome. Warren. You're welcome, Mr. <laughs> Buffett. Um, but again, it's, it's not, it's not, simple yeah. is better yes, in a lot totally of ways. Mate. In totally. a lot of ways. And, and, and I think it's places, an excellent- I think it's an excellent. I can't tell you the number of conversations I used to get into where people would argue <laughs> as to whether an eight point three percent discount rate was yeah, better. Or, 
or a 9.6. <laughs> oh, yeah, but inflation. Oh, yeah, but they're like, for oh. goodness sakes, if you know. Yeah. <laughs> there are so many. There are so many ways that this thing can fall over, and it's not going to fall over because you've used eight point three yeah. instead of nine point yeah. six or whatever it yeah. is. You know, generally right as opposed yeah. to specifically wrong. Um, it gives you some way to draw a line in the sand. It's mm-hmm. only going to be as accurate as the forecasts that you use. Forecasts are almost certainly going to be wrong. Yes, but you just want something that's kind of going to work out well for you. You know what I use? My, so let's get back back to the nub of the question. Mm. I tend to use ten percent. Yeah, I'm, I normally roughly the same. Yeah, and I use ten percent because that's the long term market average return same. of the yep. market. Spot on. Spot I on. feel as though if come the end of days and the you know horsemen of the apocalypse are on the horizon, <laughs> I can say, yeah, I got ten percent. I'm pretty happy with that. You know, yep. there is a there is a Zimbabwean. Venezuelan situation where we've got hyperinflation, in which case, okay, that turns out that wasn't enough. But under most normal scenarios, I'll be, yeah, that's that's pretty. Nothing cool. too much. If you use fifteen percent, you're not going to buy anything ever. Yeah, because nothing, nothing on any reasonable assumption. Some businesses will do better than that over time. Yeah, but no reasonable set of assumptions, conservatively created, are going to let you buy anything with a discount rate of fifteen percent because it's just too high. You can yeah. want fifteen percent returns, but it's just, it is being stupid. You buy nothing, and then the ones that surprise you because they do even better, you yeah. don't own because you're waiting for this magical fat pitch to turn up. I um. A lot of people for discount rate use weighted average cost of capital or WAC, W-A-C-C. <laughs> WAC is um, WAC. Oh, well, so I th- I, I've always thought it was stupid. And, and speaking of calls to authority and, and uh, people using people using your strategy, my strategy, uh, Uncle Warren's business partner, Charlie Munger, uh, I, I think I was at the, it might be the one you were at with me actually, at the, the uh, Berkshire annual meeting uh, in Omaha, Nebraska, where he said something like, I don't think I've ever bothered working out. Someone asked me about the weighted average cost of capital of Berkshire. Mm. And Charlie's like, I don't, I've, never tried, I've never tried to work it out. Like, I, I, somebody asked what, what it was or something for Berkshire. I was like, I, I don't know. I've never tried to work it out. If you were more, I was like, no, done. No. That, that was it. It was like, just, yeah. you know, just, just, just because things can be calculated doesn't mean they should be. Mm. And just because you can, just because you can create, uh, come up with a number doesn't mean you should use it. What's just, the saying? Just, everything yeah. that can be measured doesn't not count. Not everything that can be counts, not everything can be counted counts, not everything that counts can be counted. That's the one. Yeah. I've still yeah. boxed it up, but that, that's the idea. Yeah, yeah. Should we move on? Yeah. Good. Yeah. Uh, oh, let me, let me just like talk about oh, one, one, one thing. One thing. One thing. I will say and another thing. Uh, yeah. So because <laughs> these, are, they, they, you know, what I find is that these, there's there's only a few really big ideas in investing, and this is kind of one of them, and and so it's it's worth exploring a little bit more. But one thing I would say is, uh, you can alter that discount rate as a means of adding a margin of safety. So the more yeah. uncertain you are, you might want to bump that up a little bit more just to a, 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 account for it. Or if yeah. you super, you know, I if I was doing that kind of analysis for Woolworths uh, and I was doing that kind of analysis for, I don't know, Pointera, small geospatial company, not yet profitable, I'm going to use a lower discount rate for Woolies because it's just lower mm. risk. Yeah. The only the only thing you've got to be careful of there is not to layer margins of safety on top oh, of margins of safety. That's exactly what I was going to say. I... I don't. Here's the thing, though, right? If you use a lower discount rate, you're 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 implying you want a lower return or accept to accept a lower return. Mm, mm. And I have never really been sold on that idea, right? I want ten percent on everything I own. I'm not saying I only want a four percent return on Woolies. Why? Because it's safer. Well, but you still get four percent. You know what I mean? Yeah, like I think yeah. that if you do the portfolio well enough, that'll take care of itself because you'll get some fifteens on That's the true. ones you get used ten for, and you get five on others. Mm. I never. I I, I really. Again, academics will tell you otherwise. People who love numbers and algebra and feel comfortable with that's the thing. People use it because it feels safe, right? It's like if I put it in a spreadsheet, it must be true. And if I explain it intelligently, that must be smart. Yeah, so, what do you want to yeah. be smart? Do you want to make money? <laughs> yes. So, like, you know, I, I'm not gonna, personally, I wouldn't use a lower discount rate for anything. I never have. I never use a high one either. 
because I say if you've if you've been appropriate with your assumptions and and the likelihood of those growth numbers, I probably would use a less conservative growth assumption for Woolies because I know the range more tightly. When I say less conservative, I mean I'm aggressive with it. I just don't I don't discount the, my assumption too significantly because Woolies going to grow up roughly that rate because it kind of is a company like I don't know pick a pick a small microcap you know tech specy or something um, different thing different thing there too. Yes. Shall we move on? Yes, let's. Great question we got through on the Twitters. I'll give you our details in a minute from Gary, who just says, I've got a question for the pod. Last week, you talked about repayments versus income for measuring affordability. This is housing. I know you love housing, Andrew. You'll, you'll mm-hmm. love this question. Uh, I talked about the fact that, you know, it's to my mind, it's, it's repayment affordability, not price versus income. Mm-hmm. Gary says, but what about the deposit required? That should be considered too, no? I think he's right. Mm. I think- Course. The from to my mind, I, I've actually funnily enough, I tweeted about this this morning, um, maybe subconsciously. Uh, again, we're doing this on Thursday, so Thursday morning. Um, when you measure affordability, it's one thing to say I can afford the repayments, but when prices go up so quickly and the deposit at five or ten percent of the purchase price, or twenty percent if you want to avoid lenders' mortgage insurance, goes up so quickly, the half million dollar house that's a million dollars might be the same repayment if interest rates halve. Mm. So it doesn't quite work that way, but work with me. Um, but the deposit still doubles. Mm. And so while the repayment affordability may not change meaningfully, the hurdle to get into that property does actually increase quite a lot. Um, I got a lot of sympathy for that view, mate. You? Yeah. Yeah. Huge <laughs> So would you so what would yeah. you do about it? Would you would you change deposit requirements? Would you change no. mortgage insurance? What would you what would you do? Would you do anything differently? If we if we if we accept that affordability is no different, but deposit is a problem, does it just remain a problem or do we try and fix it somehow? Oh my gosh, what a big question. Yeah. Sorry. I mean, (laughs) I don't even know where to start. Like, if you take, if you take once a point, a certain point of view too far, Hmm. then we just start taking 1% deposits. Well, it doesn't matter. The affordability is the same. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, now now I've got 100 to 1 leverage. Yeah. Like, is that sensible? Maybe some people can go, I, yeah, that's sensible. Can I, can I say, I'm actually okay with that. Like, let yeah. me be controversial for a second. Okay. I'm not sure we need a deposit for anything other than proof of the ability to save, mm-hmm. which if you've done that with a certain dollar amount of savings. So so if I if I earn a certain amount and I can qualify for a loan, loan that's now twice as big as rates have halved mm. and I've shown that I can afford to, to, to save the... Uh, what is effectively a multiple of a, of a monthly repayment mm. rather than a percentage of a house price? I think that's a more more a more appropriate number. If 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 once upon a time a five percent deposit was the equivalent of let's pick a number three years repayments, mm. right? But now the deposit is six years repayments. You got to save. Why does that? Why is that a more appropriate metric to assess credit worthiness or riskiness? If 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 three years if three years you know repayments was enough in twenty. I don't know, 15, I'll just pick some numbers. Why Why are six years repayments all of a sudden now the benchmark? I, I actually think that's fundamentally flawed as a way of assessing that. You're coming at it from a from the borrower's point of view, and I agree with you, actually. Mm-hmm. So so the, the point is, is um, can I reasonably pay this thing off mm-hmm. within the next 20, 25, 30 years, whatever the time frame is? Yeah. And can I do that accounting for the normal uncertainties and vagaries and, you know, um, unfortunate factors of life? 
getting sick, yeah. losing my job, interest yeah, yeah, rates yeah. going up, yeah. all yeah. of that. So we just said margin of safety, margin of safety, right? So you might be able to do something now. Maybe things get a lot easier and better for you. Maybe it won't. But you're right. If that if that that's really the only calculus that matters. And so I 100% agree. But I would also I would also have to say you need to look at it from a systemic point of view. The reason you have a deposit is for the lender, right? The re- so if I'm if I'm going to you say, "Hey, Andrew, mm. I'm a really good I'm a really good financial risk. In other words, I'm not very risky. I'm a proven earner. I I will give me give me a uh, million dollars. I'm going to go buy a house, but don't you worry. Every week for the next 20 years, I'm going to pay enough back such that you get all your money back plus a plus a bit to make it worth your while. And go great. Now let's say, and there's zero deposit on that. Now let's say something out of left field happens, and for whatever reason, the property market drops 20 percent. And you can't pay. I'm stuffed. I'm absolutely screwed. When you have a deposit, you actually have you actually add a buffer to the lender. So it means that if I've lent you a million dollars, the share price the share price the house drops by ten percent, and you move yeah. to Cuba. Yeah, I can sell, and I'm still whole. But overall, mate, like think about that. For, so this is and, and we know, need to. Sorry, just I just to finish yeah, on that. Sorry, we go, need sorry, to, yes. we need to think about that. I mean, you might, people might go, "Well, that's the bank's problem." Yeah, it is until until that we all bail them out with our own money, i.e. tax dollars, right? It's kind of our, it's society's problem and we need to think about, we need a strong financial system. So I, I would say a good level of deposit is good from a systemic standpoint, just to, just to finish the thought. I agree with an exception, which is we would never, well, I said never, I don't consider my investments on a, position by position basis to make sure each one of them is um, never, there's no possibility of losing money on any of them. Mm, mm. I buy a portfolio of shares knowing that some will do really well, some will do ordinarily, some will do badly. Now, mm. banks that have massive upsides, so their range of outcomes is much more limited. But I would argue that I don't know a circumstance in which a responsible lender has, so again, I don't know a circumstance in which the deposit taken would materially change the outcome for a responsible lender across their portfolio. So if I, you know, they've already, because I've already banked the deposit, right? <laughs> so so if, I, if I default on my house tomorrow after they bank the deposit, they're just going to write up a loss in their books for whatever's missing. They'll try and get money back from me. I, the loan stays with me if I move to Cuba or I'm outside the jurisdiction, but assuming I don't leave the country, um, I'm still here, that I'm still on the hook for the loan. And ninety nine percent of us are going to pay that loan anyway. I'm just I, I, I absolutely take. I, I completely agree. By the way, systemically, I don't want banks taking silly risks because I don't want to be in a situation where um, the US was, where we had you know our banks got through fantastically well. And for all the all the criticism they get for being too profitable, I'm like, you know what? If that's the price of a healthy, stable financial system, sign me up every day of the week. If we're going to pay slightly higher interest rates as a result to do that, then sign me up every day of the week. And everybody else, I'd happily say to everybody else, you're paying a little bit more than you otherwise would have to. Because the system is stable and secure. I think that's absolutely perfect. I'm just not convinced that at a systemic level, the incremental increase in deposit is actually making anything meaningfully safer given those circumstances. But they can sell your property, right? So that's my point. That's exactly why I'm saying it's like, you know, they sell the property and you're on the hook for whatever's whatever's mm, missing. Mm. How likely are they re- how likely is that deposit if it was ten or five or two or one percent, how likely is that in the event of a default to meaningfully change the situation? I would argue not very at all, given that they got they can garnish my wages from now to kingdom come to pay the loan off if I default. 
Um, I probably won't, but if I do, they, they get that. They still ask for what it's worth. And if it goes up at any any point, imagine taking a 5% deposit 10 years ago, selling the house today. You know, it's it, I, I don't know, man. It just it just strikes me as, they, they're trying to make whatever decisions they want. Mm. It just feels very anachronistic given the circumstance we've got. That's all. I think the key thing in all of what you said was that what you said at the very start was a responsible lender. <laughs> oh, go on. Well, well I'll, 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 uh, I'll go and grab a coffee. You, you, you talk about banks and responsible lending. No, it's go easy on, to, like, it's easy to get very conspiratory. <laughs> I'm not. I think, I think most banks do the right thing most of the time. But, but also, you know, it's, it's, not a, it's not a tinfoil hat kind of scenario to sort of say sometimes they do silly things. We had a banking royal commission. I mean, look what happened. Look what came out of that, you know. And, and that was only in a very narrow sort of frame of terms of reference. So, and, and we can see other developed Western economies, Ireland, Spain, the US, where we can see bad behaviour. So it's kind of, you're all, you're, you're right, but, but there, is a, there is a big element of responsibility there and, and avoid, avoid aversion of moral hazard and, and all the rest of it. We, we're kind of, we've kind of gone way off what mm. the question was um, in terms of, in ter- yeah, but I mean, it's interesting stuff. So I, yeah. look, I would, I would say, um, I would say the deposit size matters because that's a, that's a, that's a consequence of leverage. If I have yeah. a 50% deposit, I'm, 20, I'm, I'm one to two leveraged. Yeah. I'm 5%, yeah, yeah, totally. I'm 20 to totally. one. Yeah. And- you know, I, I just... I'm not sure, oh, see, I, I'm not sure that matters, mate. Because, like, like the, the difference between those, yes, especially 51 and one feels like a lot, but it's it's effectively 1% of the purchase price difference, right? Like, a 1% or 2% deposit, it feels, it feels bigger if you say, man, I'm 51 leverage, 101 leverage, man, that's so much more. It's like, well, I've got a 1% deposit or a 2% deposit. Like, it's, it, I take your point, but the other 99 or 98% is the problem, right? The difference in terms of what you don't own is one percentage point difference rather than double the leverage. And I think it, I, I, you're not wrong. You're exactly right mathematically, and I take your point. I'm not sure it actually is that big a deal in terms of that difference. But if you if you default a 98 percent loan or 99 percent loan, the bank's not going. It, it's it's not going to make any difference to anybody, right? That's that's the yeah. Not as much of a difference if, as the leverage number multiple sounds. If I can put down ten grand and buy a million dollar house, yeah. You know what does everyone in the country do? Well, no, you've got, to be, you've got to qualify for it. So the lending mm-hmm. criteria still apply. I'm just talking about the deposit hurdles specifically. Mm. If, I had a, if I had a million dollar income and a thousand dollar, thousand dollar, and my income was safe and blah, 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 whatever, you know, like assume I'm, you know, assume I'm running straw man, I'm, I'm making an absolute <laughs> fortune. Uh, I got my million dollar, million dollar income. It's guaranteed for years because I've signed members up to a, you know, 25 year recurring whatever. And, and I go to the bank and say, look, we I'd like to buy a half million dollar I'd like to buy a half million dollar property with my million dollar a year income, but I only got $1,000. The bank said, no, nah, can't do it. Yeah. Now, of course, you could eventually save the deposit, blah, blah, blah. But I, oh, my point is, if the lending, if the lending, if you're, if you're credit worthy, if you can pay the loan back, if you've got X, three years of, of repayment saved up, which happens to be 2% because house prices have risen or 5% because they haven't or whatever it is, I just feel like that, that, that arbitrary percentage just feels really, really weirdly... And I'm, again, I'm the last person who wants banks to take silly risks, right? But it just seems of all the risks they're taking, I was super credit worthy borrower who just has a few thousand dollars less than an arbitrary rounded. Why is five not four? Because five's a round number, right? To why is ten not five? Because you know, I don't know. I don't know. It feels, it feels unnecessarily punitive mm. for those borrowers who can absolutely refo- afford it, just because of prices where they are can't save up for you know ten years worth of savings to get get a. Uh, I'll sound the property ladder just so I know you love that term. Oh, God, I hate that term. <laughs> Sorry, Matt. <laughs> well, the other one is uh, no one buys a house anymore. People get into the market. Exactly. Oh, for right. God's Onto the ladder, mate. Onto the ladder. Ladder. You're buying a house, you idiot. Stop saying that you go in the market. 
You're in the market when you're buying when you're when you're actually physically buying and selling. Other than that, you you've got a house anyway. Well, let's agree to disagree on that one, mate. Because I think I just think okay. it leads to all kinds of problems when all of a sudden where yeah. there is no deposit requirements. We are all going to bid the house because we can. I no money yeah, right. down. Hey, I'm credit worthy. Okay. Oh, so am I. Okay. Here's a million dollars for you. Here's a million dollars for you. Here's a million. Oh, it's fantastic. Oh, property price default <laughs> doesn't matter because you're still on the hook for it. Like, yeah, right. Yeah, but I'm on the hook oh, for yeah, it. Totally. And now yeah. I'm on the hook for 10 properties because why not? Why Why buy one when I can buy 10? But the bank's and- going to say no at some point. They're not just using the deposit. That, 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 that's not the deposit hurdle stopping people. Yeah, it's not the only thing that's stopping people, right? You gotta be, you actually gotta be thing. credit worthy otherwise. It's a big thing, but yeah, 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 yeah. Is that is that worth the stopping people getting if you know for young people out there who are saying, I've got five years worth of savings, yeah, I still am nowhere near it, and I'm, you're telling me I shouldn't buy a house because I'm a risk. I don't know, systemically, I, I take a point of systemic risk, in terms of systemic opportunity, if I can if I can if I can torture it and put it that way. I don't know, it, it, on balance, it feels like a tough thing to say to people, sorry, you can't buy a house. You, you can afford to, but you haven't got the repayment. Uh, Poor the market, you, bad luck, yeah. get stuff. It's just, it's just, it's, it's, it, it's sort of a secondary, tertiary kind of considered when, when, when the system mm. is so badly broken that a hardworking, creditworthy young couple can't buy a house mm. unless deposit requirements are drastic. I mean, it just, and you are, you are in servitude to a bank. <laughs> Until you are a seventy-five-year-old person, yeah. something is fundamentally broken, you know. Mm-hmm. And you're right. I get we like we can sort of talk <laughs> about it mathematically, and maybe ah, they'll be fine. fine. But it's just yeah. like your entire life, your entire earnings <laughs> and savings capacity yeah, yeah. goes yeah. towards this one thing. You've got yeah. no wealth outside of it. You can't spend the yeah. money in a house without selling it or taking more of a loan against it. Mm. You know, uh, mm-hmm. every other. Point in history and every other generation, they they were buying you know three four times salaries, and they had a house to live and they had security and they went out into the society and they were productive and yeah. they we all became a richer more fulfilling society and and now we've got this top tier of people who got in early enough and are mega rich on paper and we've got everyone else who's got no chance and it's just it's a tragedy mm. and it's a it's a it's 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 a it's a blight on on all sides of government and policy makers to have allowed us to get into that Whereas we're we are so painted into the corner now that the only mm. scenario to fix it <laughs> is to make a lot of people very angry a lot of voters yeah. very angry and therefore it will never yeah. happen and it's i don't have an easy answer but it, i do i do lament it not not mm. from a personal mm. situation although that's true but but yeah. i just i really feel for the 25-year-old couple who just wants yep. somewhere to live and raise a family yeah. and have some security and not have to both work all the time, totally. full-time, forever. And if they're lucky, nothing will go mm, wrong. Mm, mm. And when they retire, they'll finally have paid off their house. Yeah. And they're, I agree. I agree. Uh, I, tragedy. Yes, I think there are. I think there are. There's a lot wrong. Oh, yeah. We won't, let's go on that part. I, I actually agree with that point. I think it's I think it's a shame that as a society we put so much money into housing. We financialized it. In and of itself. Yeah. Um, that's my, you're still my word. Um, but just, just just generally as a, as a, as a you know, yeah. Given most of us die in our houses, then pass them on, we don't actually ever liquidate it anyway, um, other than going to a nursing home, which equally is, you know, it, it just, the, the, the value created ends up just being kind of kicked down the road, which is kind of a good thing in one sense, in the sense that you've, you know, you're as inherit more, but if, if the prices are all higher everywhere, there's no real gain, except the more and more of our incomes go into service shelter rather than either mm-hmm. consumption or actually, you know what, maybe working a little bit less or going an extra holiday or something like that. It, it's, a, it's a little bit of a strange, strange old world we live in, but there you go. Think about, Mate, think up. about okay. just quickly, just the, yeah. the, the alternative of, uh, of taking my excess earnings and putting mm-hmm. it into a, a productive asset. 
like a business, for example, whether I own it privately or whether I yep. bought in part through the share market or something. Yep. I've now got something that each year is throwing out more and more money and yep. that is compounding. I don't, I don't have to spend it if I want to. If I don't, I can reinvest it back in. And, right. you know, I've got, I've got something. They've got this magic money box that just spits yep. out more and more cash. That is, that is far better than something that just on paper makes me feel better but I can never spend. Yeah. You know, it's sort of it's sort of because I, I, I put that in there because I know a lot of people go, aha, but what's the I hear what you're saying, but it's the same with shares. It's not. Mm-hmm. One is one is one is one is a, a wealth that is built off actual realized and and um, um, well actual cash flows. Yeah. The, the other is the other is the other is a, a nominal value that that unless you want to live on the street, you can't do much about. Motley Fool Money. For more, subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. Hey, um, one from Tristan. Now, uh, cross-promotion alert, um, but I'll do that at the end of here. Tristan says, hey, Scott, this was sent on the 20th of April. Hey, Scott and Ram, what's your opinion on equity crowdfunding through an ASIC-approved platform? I recently came across a product launched by Tai Tuavasa, who is a USC fighter, called Drink West. I believe the product has a lot of potential to grow, especially when you see the sporting stars advertising the product. Uh, worth saying that uh, Nathan Cleary, the Penrith Panthers captain, uh, and Gunn is also, uh, I think, a shareholder, certainly involved in the promotion. Do you have any advice for people looking to invest in startups like this? Cheers, Tristan. Mm. Now, the heads up is, um, just, and this is not d- deliberate cross-promotion, but thank you, Tristan, for the opportunity. Um, the CEO of Birchall and the founder, Birchall is the crowdfunding platform that's actually supporting um, or, or bringing Drink West to market. I actually spoke to the uh, uh, I spoke to the uh, the co-founder Matt Vitali uh, only this week. I'm not sure when it'll go live, so look out for that. And get a bit more information about crowdfunding. That being said, uh, for the good oil, the good oil, correct. Yeah, Sorry, okay. thank you. Thanks, man. Uh, on the good oil, the good oil with Scott Phillips. In fact, if you look for that, you will find that podcast. Thank you for making sure I actually do the plug properly. Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll pay you pay you later. Uh, so, a really interesting chat and just a great story, startup story, all that kind of stuff. I did put a couple of those devil advocate questions to him, mate. About eh, I'm not sure this is great. Are you sure it's great? Now, of mm. course, he thinks it's great, and you'd expect him to say so. Uh, that being said, I have no dog in the fight. I'll give my unvarnished opinion. I want you to give yours, Ram. What do you reckon? Mm. Equity crowdfunding, uh, cool, accessible, gives you know, democratizes it, all that kind of stuff. On the same, by the same token, these are lower disclosure, uh, less, you know, early stage, um, no obvious exit point, a liquidity event, as the cool kids call it, mm. but no obvious way to get your shares mm. out. Mm. Um, everyone wants to be involved in these things. I actually looked at Drink West, so I thought, oh, that does look interesting. Mm. Uh, just because it's kind of, it's, I'll, I'll, we'll do a bit in a minute. Anyway, your thoughts on equity crowdfunding, mate? A, a, a great idea, accident waiting to happen, uh, democratization or uh, exploitation? What do you What do you think? I think it's a great idea. I like it. I like it a lot. I think we'll see more of it. Um, I think it's it's a really interesting idea. Like a lot of new interesting ideas, it's going to be the Wild West. It's going to be huge amounts of scams. A lot of people are going to lose a lot of money. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's that that I'm not happy about. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think it's only money that you you got to treat it as 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 even for the projects you know very well and have a high degree of conviction. It's just going to be higher risk, right? So yeah. you yeah. need to realize all of that. But I just think it's cool for. Mm-hmm. I think I think when the world is moving more to a creator economy. You know, as the bots and the machines do more and more stuff, like the, the the little segment that humans carve out is sort of getting diminishingly small. But there are these ways to sort of content is king, and if you can sort of buy into someone that you love because you love the music that they make or the art that they produce, 
or whatever, you know, whatever the project is, I just think it, I, you, know, you want to be part of something, you want a, an ownership stake in something like that. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's, it sounds airy fairy, but there are there are non financial considerations, and I get yeah. that. And there'll be a lot of people yeah. out there who goes, I just love the art of this person, yeah. and I just I want to support them, I, I want to have a share in it. I probably will never make any money, but geez, I, I just really want more of this in the world, and I want to do it. And it's it's a really cool mechanism to sort of support them. So is um, that is that investing though, or is that low grade philanthropy? Because because let's call it. A, a yeah, state of I think shovel. I think that's true. I mean, there's yeah. there's one thing. You know, that that's GoFundMe or Kickstarter, right? And I'm not yep. saying it's bad, good or bad. I I I worry a little bit. It's a bit like ethical investing, or people who invest in wind farms because they hope they do good things for the world. Uh, go for it, but yep. don't don't. For my, in my view, and I'm not saying this is the case about crowdfunding, by the way, in general, but just your comment then, mm. confusing the two ideas of supporting someone and investing in something, they're two very, very, very Excellent different point. things. Yeah, no, you're, you're right. You're 100% right. So I guess what I'm saying is you've got to go in eyes wide open. And this, it, yeah, yeah. It, 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 it's the answer that we give so often, which is it depends. Well, what's the project? <laughs> yeah, you know, right. I don't know. Right. Is it something stupid or is it something that's yeah, got a lot, yeah. of, a lot of merit? Is it something that has emotional returns yeah. or is it something yeah. that has uh, financial returns? Like, so it, it depends. And there will be some, there'll be some projects out there that are just brilliant mm-hmm. from a financial perspective yep. and there'll be a lot that aren't. So it depends. You know, whenever, whenever you're doing something like that, just, just go in. Eyes wide open, mm. and remember the opportunity cost. Because if you put some money there, it's not going somewhere else, and it could could that's be in a broad based ETF, and maybe that's a better place for for pure financial reasons. So, yeah, that's yeah. what that, I, I what I worry about with investing. I'll get back to equity crowdfunding in a sec. What I worry about with that sort of I don't want to call it impact investing is not necessarily that. What, what worries me a little bit is when we put investing on it, it gives it a gravitas that justifies us um, spending. Also, rather than investing, an order of magnitude higher than you otherwise would, right? $10 on the dogs at DAPTO feels like a gamble. $10,000 on some specky miner is, it's investing. I know it's speculative, but it's, it's just, I'm only I can afford to lose. It's like, man, are you going to take 10 grand to the tab and afford to lose that? Are you going to take 10 to the casino and afford to lose that? Or are you going to say, oh, like, I know it's specky, but I, I, you know, it's money. I, I'm just going to have a gamble. I just have a play with it. It's play money. It's, it's, you know, fun money. And I just think, you know what? If you, if honestly, if you took 10 grand to the casino, people would say you have a raving gambling habit and there would be an intervention, but you invest in air quotes, 10 grand on some specky miner. It's like, no, it's investing. It's on the ASX. It's through ComSec. <laughs> it's, it's respectable and reputable and, and appropriate. And I'm part of improving things or doing something different. And it really, 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 it grinds my gears a little bit, but and I'm not blaming anybody, but it, it, we don't even do it deliberately. That's, that's why it's so insidious, right? Because mm. no one actually says... I'm just going to tell people, like, I'm really having a punt, right? But I'm going to tell people it's investing. So I'm like, it's like, no, we convince ourselves that's what it is. So if you know, think about charity, right? If you give 100 bucks to the Sallies, but you'll invest 10 grand in a beer brand because you're helping the founders and you're not expecting to make a return on it, it's like, oh, you know, where else would you be donating 10 grand? You know, it's, that's the bit that kind of gets me a little bit, the, the instinctive kind of subconscious ability for us to add zeros to the amount because somehow it's tied up with investing and therefore it's somehow more credible and, and the numbers can be larger. Mm. Is, that, is that a fair criticism or am I going off on one? Be kind. <laughs> you're, not, you're not wrong, but you're speaking to 
sort of the, <laughs> one of our many frailties and yeah. I don't know what the solution to it is. Your, um, your frailty, not mine, your frailty. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, we, yeah, do, we, no, we, sure. we, are, we are masters of, of tricking ourselves yeah, and, yeah. and that's oh, the yeah, danger. Yeah. But I, I do, <laughs> and so while I agree with yeah. that, I, yeah. I think at the same time, does that mean that we we ban it or we regulate the hell out of it or yeah. we, I don't, I don't know. Actually, I don't have a, I, I don't have an easy answer yeah. for it. And, Can and I ask you about regulation then? Because that's the bit I, I'm less comfortable with is I'm not entirely sure that what again the idea of having less regulation just because oh it's only a smaller money and and what again same kind of idea right you don't mm. we have, there's more regulation on on gambling ads that you might put 100 bucks in a sports bet account than 10 grand in a in a, in a crowdfunding you know, gamble responsibly. So invest responsibly. It's a kind of, you know, and I don't want to draw a direct parallel because it's not a direct mm. parallel. And I, I think it's hopefully probable that your potential is better with some of these startups, at least as a portfolio, than maybe going to the track or or putting money on the, the, the footy game or the dogs or something. Um, I just don't, I don't love less disclosure. I think we've worked really, really, really hard as a community. I want to say we, I don't mean the financial industry who would happily screw investors for, you know, including their, their mother-in-law for, for a couple of dollars profit. Yeah. Um, but you know, those of us who care have worked really, really bloody hard to make sure investors investor protections are there. And it's like this is that unwinding of like, yeah, yeah. Look, if you buy shares in Woolwich, you need to have a lot of stuff. If you want to buy shares in Andrew'sLocalGrocer.com, yeah, you don't need to have quite as much. It's like personally, I know more about Woolwich. Shouldn't there be more disclosure required for the little startup than the massive behemoth everybody knows everything about already? Like, if you think about the dollars spent invested by a retail investor. I would have thought that, you know, in terms of if you said to me, what needs more disclosure? I'm like, the little startup with, with you know, 15 employees and and no hope of getting your money back. They need more disclosure than the 300,000 employee Woolworths that we know everything about. Yeah. I just, I don't I don't love the idea of just some saying, well, we're, we're supporting the economy and we're helping people invest in startups and, 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 and so let's just, let's just wipe away those rules because they're pesky and we don't like them anyway. Yeah, so I, I, would, dis- I would make the, dis- I would distinguish between where the regulation is. I think there should be good and heavy regulation on the provider to ensure that they are being honest and disclosing important information. Okay, yeah, yeah. I don't, I'm less comfortable with the regulations that stop me making a free choice as to how I spend or invest my money. So, you know, maybe maybe I want to go the track, DAPTO. Maybe I want to bet $10,000 on it. I mean, you know, is it yep. a good thing to do? No, but it's a free society <laughs> at the same time. You know, I kind of feel as though it's a slippery slope and I'm not a libertarian. Yeah. I'm not a libertarian. Let me let me make but, that clear. But but at the same time, you know- you've got a I, MAGA hat on, which is weird. I don't know what- I don't, don't why, is there, why is there a MAGA hat on your head? No, I'm uh, yeah. I'm <laughs> don't, don't, don't trigger me. <laughs> um, you know, I, 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 one of the things that really annoys me in our space is the term yeah. sophisticated investor. So there's a lot of investments that you or, or I or a bunch of listeners won't be able to have access to because yes. we are not classed as sophisticated investors. You know, well, yep. well, those people can invest in these things that look really interesting. Why can't I? Yeah. And it's not. It's got nothing to do with how sophisticated you are. It's got to do everything to do with how much yeah. money you've got. <laughs> That's right. You know, it's a stupid yeah. term, but it's kind of like that. Yeah. Well, I, you know. Yeah. So I, I just feel as though as if there are it's people out there making call, call them high wealth individual if you want to call them something if you want to, if you want to just, if you want to make sure. it call a spade a spade let, sure. let's at least let's at least I uh, know you're saying we shouldn't do this but yeah let's at least call it what it is which is yeah you're, you're rich you're not smart <laughs> you know, yeah exactly in fact yeah, there's yeah, plenty yeah, of yeah. dumb rich people out there so yeah, you know yeah. it, it's um 
Yeah. Like, what am I saying? What am I saying? I'm, I'm like, they should not. <laughs> I should not be allowed to equity fund Project Andrew and tell you nothing about it and make a yeah. whole bunch of stupid claims that are completely unrealistic, backed by yes. nothing. And I just that's yeah. just that's just legitimized um, uh, mm. a legitimized con. Yeah. No, 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 no. I'm not. I'm totally against that. Yeah. So I should the burden of there should be a lot of burden of proof on me to sort of mm-hmm. demonstrate mm-hmm. that I've got you know there's a certain disclosure and the assets and the backing and the project and the plan and all yeah. of that kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah. And then if 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 you know Sarah or Bob want to throw some money my way, that's on them. That's mm. kind of as long as I've been honest. You know, that's the main thing for me. <sighs> I am going to screw you for the second time this episode, but that's okay. <laughs> that's that's part of the fun. Um, I, I think there are reasonable limitations and restrictions on gambling. I think the same should apply to investing when you talk about something that's frankly a blurryish line between speculate. Speculation is that line between gambling and, and kind of um, boring investing, right? And that's a very, very grey area. And I think should we be prevented from it? Probably not. Should we? Should there be rules to make sure that there's sufficient amounts of disclosure? I think so. And to your point, I wouldn't stop people doing it. But am I so sure that a PDS required or a, or a, a prospectus required to launch in the ASX, why should that be, have a higher burden than an equity crowdfund where I could put exactly, if I put 10 grand in both of those things, mm. I get different amounts of information. And that one, just on a, on a very simple, you know, if, if it's about providing the investor with the information they require, if I put 10 grand in two different things, get two, lots of, two separate bits of information, then I think there's something wrong with that process. By the way, sophisticated investors, I agree with you from a very different perspective, just disagree mm. again. I would get rid of the classification as well, but I would simply just make the sophisticated raisings have the same disclosure requirements as normal ones. So yep. yeah, let's not have it, but but everyone gets all the information. The, the, the argument for sophisticated investors, by the way, for those who don't know, you know this, Andrew, is it's supposed to allow capital raisers, so people trying to fund or get, get money, to give less information. Oh, you're smart and rich, so I don't give, need to give you as much stuff. So that's fine. Give it a sophisticated investor. Give everyone the chance, but increase the disclosure level to mm. the same as a retail investor. Then you solve both problems at once. Mm. Super easy. I don't. I don't think. I think you know. It's one of those things as a society, a bit like housing. We can afford to actually look after each other a little bit better, right? We mm. don't. It, there's nothing in the nothing in the process that says you know you must be able to raise money without telling people the stuff they need to know just because you need the money. So well, that's not how it works. We actually have investor protections for a reason. So I, I would. I agree with you. I'd get rid of sophisticated investor designations as well but I would do it the other way around and say everyone gets equal access, but the disclosure is equal and it is at the current level rather than some sort of reduced watered down disclosure. Mm. Would you go for that or no? Oh, yeah, yeah no, 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 no. I don't think, just, I think it's like curious. a lot of things. It's just like the, the devil's in the detail. I think <laughs> yeah, big, big, big picture, I think we're all in furious <laughs> agreement with each other and you sort yeah. of, you know, we, you start arguing the edge cases. Yeah. But, yeah, no, I, look, I've got no big problem with, with all of that. That's true. That's true. You know, and, and, that's, and that's just to come back it's to the question, case, you know, it's, it's, it's I think, I think it's, it's for someone to say, oh, this equity crowdfunding is brilliant is just as yeah. bad as someone saying, no, it's terrible. Yeah. Because well, it, right. it's too broad. It's a very big label that applies to a lot of yeah. different things. So I just come back to my it depends, eyes wide open, <laughs> know what you're doing, which is always the case. And uh, don't don't bet the farm on something that could that could really hurt you. I like that a lot. I um, think that's super smart, mate. That's that's great advice. At the end of the day, if we can if you can manage your own behaviour, then the disclosures matter less, right? Yeah, that's, that's true. Just part of the part of the message if you're listening. Yep. Um, really, really, really great point, mate. Thank you. Um, question: If we got from who was this one from? Oh, um, this is the second question actually from David from before. I've heard you talk about uh, a lot about Motley Fool Extreme Opportunity Service, where you say winners may be four in ten or less. 
but the wins will hopefully outweigh the losses. David didn't say hopefully, I added a hopefully because I don't want to be misquoted. Hopefully outweigh the losses. Does this mean, he asks, in principle, that one should buy all the recommendations in a service? And if so, when do we know when you recommend to sell or divest a stock? So this, this is a very, very company specific one. Um, yes, the, so, so I want to answer this, mate, not about the service. I will say quickly, Extreme Opportunities does recommend sells if it's time to sell, they, they believe. Um, they'll get it wrong as, as I do at ShareAdvisor, so that's clear. What I, what I want to talk about now, mate, out of this question was the idea of sample error. Um, I don't know if we've talked about this recently or not. Um, ben Graham, father of value investing, seen as a guy who used certain rules to buy a stock, you, you know, net nets and under certain asset values and whatever. That was the way he approached it. And people say, I'm a Graham investor, so I bought these, this company based on his rules or his approach. What they don't say or even, don't even know is Graham bought literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of companies during his lifetime using a very quantitative approach where he knew to David's question, well, he didn't know, he believed that the wins would offset the losses at scale. And what, it's in the same people saying, well, value is doing better than growth, therefore I'm buying a value stock. If you only buy one, we've talked about the coin toss thing before, right? even with a loaded coin, if you only buy one, you're in trouble. <laughs> you know, it's just it's just it's just one of those situations where just because the strategy works, it's a bit like the um, magic formula investing. We've talked about that before. Yeah. Return on equity and is it earnings yield? Whatever the other one is. Yes, um, it is. Yep. You know, it, it works overall, generally, historically. Whether it keeps working or not is the open question, right? But even even the fact it does work or has worked in the past is literally you buy you buy the, a lot of them. And you let the odds work out. When you play games of chance, the casino doesn't win everyone, but it knows the more you pay, the more you lose because that's the way it's designed. And I just think for David's point, so to answer his question directly, but also make a broader point, any strategy you follow, whether it's a recommendation from The Motley Fool, whether it's your favourite cabbie, whether it's some sort of mechanical investing strategy or quantitative analysis or something else, unless you buy a large sample of those, those uh, the, the companies that pass the filter, you're let's just shoot potluck. It's not much better if it's better at all than random chance. Because in that four out of ten, even, even a share of us, six out of ten, right? If you buy one or two or three, you got to, you, it's it's almost a coin toss to whether or not you're gonna win or lose. Mm. Now, by 40, and you go, no, I'm not saying you have to do by 40 stocks necessarily. It goes back to how many stocks we should own, which we've talked about before. But it just, just reminded me that you know, any strategy you're following, whether it's one of ours or doesn't, I don't really care. Um, whatever it is, an automated strategy, uh, 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 you know, whatever whatever strategy you're following, you've got to make sure you buy enough. There are enough, uh, to use the statistical terms, there are enough. There's enough in the sample, uh, or there are enough events to the to the the words you'll hear, to the terms you'll hear in statistics, to make sure that you actually have a representative result. Any thoughts on that? Yeah. Um... The, the the most valuable commodity mm. in investing um, from a marketing perspective <laughs> is certainty. Oh, isn't it? That's what Tra- sells. Tra- trading systems that spit out buy or sell recommendations, how are, that, that's the best thing in the world, isn't it? It's what we all, all you want. you do is follow what we say. Exactly. We crave it. <laughs> exactly. And it's that's not, right. you know, I, 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 human nature, I, right? Of course we do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and so- I've said this before. You you yeah. you go and set up Scott Phillips' general advisory service. Yeah. I'll set up Andrew Page advisory service. You say, <laughs> "Come invest with me, and I'm going to give you a whole bunch of excellent stock tips." And I'm and my marketing message is, "Come invest with me. I'll be right three or four times out of ten. <laughs> yeah, There's going to be long right. periods of underperformance. 
It's going to be super scary. You're going to hate me for a while. You're, you're going to, you know, I think overall it'll yeah. work yeah. out really yeah. well. Yeah. In 10 Eventually years' time, you'll look term. back yeah. and, and you'll be really glad. You'll get a really good value for money. But I don't actually know which one's going to go oh. well. I'm going to make a lot of bad. Like, yeah. No one yeah. is buying my, my newsletter. Yeah. No yeah. one is buying my newsletter. <laughs> Um, so, so, true, so it's it's just despite the fact the messages are yours is more honest, more realistic, more reasonable. Yeah, um, going go, you know, you're much more likely to actually be representative of what the experience is going to be. Yeah, I just it's it's and it's human nature. We we yeah. we want that, and and yeah. that's why it's why when like it's changing these days. But back in the day, banks were the most impressive buildings in on Main yeah. Street. Yes, yes, they had yes. the big columns, and because they had to exude this image right, of right. safety, of security, of Confident. all of these yeah, kinds yeah. of things, yeah. and in, and and it's the same with brokers. The person mm. in the CBD office with the fancy suit and the you know um, mm, mm. Uh, an opinion on everything. <laughs> that, that's that's the person you want to listen to, yeah. right? Yeah. The one who's yeah. got the fancy car, the nice house, you know, just it, it, because they're selling the same thing. They're selling that certainty <laughs> and and they do it because that's what works. Yeah. And why does Coke advertise, you know, young people on the beach <laughs> you know, with, a, with a beach ball? <laughs> because the fat guy on the couch Coke. <laughs> eating, eating fried chicken <laughs> exactly. and a can of Coke doesn't sell. You know? Be like him. You know? oh, so no, thank you. <laughs> I, I get it. I get these. I really do get these questions and, and people right, asking the right kind of questions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you yeah. give this really great answer, <laughs> but it's a really unsatisfying, if I can be frank, it's a really unsatisfying. Yeah. It's the, yeah. the it's the right answer, but it's a very unsatisfying yes. one. Yes, exactly. You know, exactly. and and I know because I used to work there, you know, <laughs> markets are doing well. Everyone yeah. wants your newsletter. Market's going bad. Everyone hates you. And, you know, <laughs> it's a mugs game. <laughs> it's like, well, oh, you're a sucker for punishment. You know, yeah, why, exactly. why would you do that to yourself? Exactly. And, exactly. and, and, and there's, there's huge churn and, and there's all of that kind of stuff because, mm. because you, can, you can lead a horse to water. You can say, this is what it's about. This is what it's about. Yeah. And it's just, I don't know what you can do. And, and all I would sort of say to people listening mm-hmm. is that whatever Motley Fool or whoever you're going to go yeah. with, and I said, I've said it before, you either just sort of follow everyone and get the average and trust in the, in the advisors or you mm-hmm. use it as a filter to, to shortlist the market for you and then you, you, you take it from there. It's your money. Yeah. It's all care, no responsibility under a general advice model. <laughs> yeah, right. And it sounds like, oh, that's a bit harsh. Like, right. Well, no, it is. Yeah. And yeah, don't, totally. you, yeah. don't get yeah. to, you don't get to... Take a tip from somewhere and then tell all your friends at the next barbecue how much of a genius you are when it goes well. And then if it goes bad, say those evil bastards over there lost all my money. It's it's your choice, right? I'm, this is I'm, yeah. a truth bomb here. This is yeah. your money, right? And you need yeah. to take it seriously. If, if nothing wrong with getting some some expert help, absolutely. I mean, you do. We yeah. do that. We you know people get personal trainers and people get interior designers. We get we use experts all of the time, and they're great great value when you've got good experts. Experts, yep. but but you but you have to take ownership of this. You've worked so long and so hard to save up your money, and to completely outsource that, mm-hmm. you know, with, with with complete abandon is just very yeah. dangerous. And so you just educate. It's too important not to spend a bit of time thinking about um, and Makes to put sense. a little bit of effort in. Yep. Makes rant rant over <laughs> <laughs> for now. <laughs> <laughs> nice, well done, well done, mates. Uh, let's move on. Yeah. Um, yes, I think so. B- bottom line, though, just make sure that you play out the strategy 
sufficiently. Don't just buy one and expect the return because you can't get the average no. return from a single it's example. not that easy. One from Mitchell, mate. Hi, Scott and Andrew. Love the podcast. Thank you, mate. I've been an avid listener over the last couple of years as well as learning from both Share Advisor and Strawman membership. Look out. This mm. Mitchell knows what he's talking about, doesn't he? Mitchell is... All Smart. I'm saying is be, be like Mitchell. Be like Mitchell. <laughs> I look forward each week, he says, to my financial literacy sessions with you both on Friday and the, quote, very special <laughs> Sunday edition. That's, that's nice you to say, Mitchell. I never thought of describing it that way, but from now on, the mailbag will be our very special Sunday mailbag. I have a question for the podcast, he says. While researching Alphabet as a company to invest in, I've come across both the two share codes, G-O-O-G and G-O-O-G-L. My own Googling, exclamation mark, he says, indicates that the essential difference is one has voting rights, the other does not. Now, we've heard in the past about Class A and Class B shares of Berkshire as well, with the same or similar difference between the class of shares. However, the two Google shares are almost identical in price. Why is there no similar Berkshire-type disparity in price between voting and non-voting shares in Alphabet? More generally, what are the pros and cons of investing in one versus the other from an investment thesis perspective? Secondly, he says, this voting rights versus non-voting rights seems a very US share market thing. Not that I'm explicitly seeking out these opportunities on the ASX, but are there any examples on the Australian stock exchange? As a company generically, why or why not bother with this differentiation of class of shares? What does the company gain by doing it? Asked Mitchell. Keep up the great work and full on. Cheers, Mitchell. Thanks, Mitchell. Mm. Mm. Great question. Do you want to tackle this one, mate? Yeah, I, I, easy. I don't know. <laughs> that was a short answer. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, in that case, I'll answer it then. Yeah, go for it. Um, okay. So they're very different things, Mitchell, but with some similarities. So I'll talk about each and we'll kind of um, we'll separate them out. So um, Google has made a difference in class of shares that has exactly the same economic interest but one, as you say, doesn't have voting rights, the other one does. Why do that? Because it means the founders can effectively own fewer shares with all the voting rights and other people can own the economic interest in the business without having any voting rights. So if you're a founder and you want to raise some money but you want to keep control, then you issue non-voting shares. So essentially, you get to make the decisions. Uh, if it comes, if there's a board resolution, you say, well, I've got the magic ticket, I've got the golden ticket here. Uh, you guys are interesting. I get to make the calls. And in theory, those voting rights should be worth something, not very much, but something. And that's why the two Google shares trade at roughly the same price. I've got to say, I have no problem with either. If you're buying the company, you know that's what you're getting. You know that's how it's structured. You in theory believe in the people who have those voting shares, otherwise you're mad. Um, so I have no problem with them doing it. That's why it's done. But that's why the share price is almost the same. Berkshire's are very, very different. Um, Berkshire, you actually have a reduced economic interest in the company with the B-class shares and a decreased voting right. So with Berkshire, I think it's one fifteen thousandth. So one over 15,000 is the B-class shares versus the A-class shares, the economic interest. In other words, to have the same proportional ownership, you would need one A-class share or 15,000 B-class shares. And so that's the economic interest. With Google, they are exactly the same economic interest, one for one in terms of the share of any future earnings or dividends. With Berkshire, you get the B-class shares that are 300 bucks. Uh, you get one fifteen thousand, I think it is, of the of the um, of the economic interest plus the voting interest. So they're very, very, very different things. Um, did I explain that well enough, Ram? Yeah. Yep. Made sense. Okay. And that, that's why that's why the, the share prices are very different. Um, they do. There's an even bigger disparity in terms of voting rights. Class A's carry, I think it's ten times more, like fifteen thousand times plus 
times 10, I think, or something mm, like that anyway. Mm. So the A-class shares also carry more voting rights, again, for the same reasons. Um, so Berkshire has two. The voting rights are different and the economic interest is different. With Google, the economic interest is the same. It's only the voting rights that are different, and that's why the shares trade at almost exactly the same price. Um, I'm not familiar with any in Australia that do that, mate. I'm not even sure it's legal here. I don't know the rules. Do you have a Do you have a sense? Do you know the answer to that? <sighs> well, there are preference shares. Yes, there are. Good. Which also have gone way out of favour. I haven't seen. Have you seen preference shares for years? We learned about it. I, can, I don't remember the last time I saw them. Yeah, they're out there. They're out there. The oh, last okay. one I can think of is I think West Farmers used to have preference shares. Huh. There you go. I don't know if they do anymore. Uh, right. And that that basically they're a little bit different. They put you higher up the pecking order in the yeah. event of a liquidation, so you get. Yes. You get sort of your money first, which is kind and of generally generally speaking, the ordinary shells don't get dividends until the preference shares have got theirs as well. Yes. So if they don't pay dividends for a while, you can't get anything as an ordinary shareholder until the preference shareholders get their money first. Yep. As but, the dividends. But you know, no free lunch kind of thing. They're much yeah. less liquid, and <laughs> there's others. There's other disadvantage. Yeah. You know, yeah. They're yeah. just they they they're just really not a thing these days. And and by yeah. the way, if you're at the point yeah. where it's kind of like you're slightly ahead of someone in the in the liquidation lines, like things are bad. <laughs> no, exactly. You know, you get one and a half cents rather than one cent out of every dollar. It's like yeah, yeah, it's not, yeah okay. Yeah. You know, you're not that grateful that you had the preference instead of the other one. So yeah, very very rare a liquidation that anyone. One of them lenders get some money back these days. Yep, yep, yep. Because that's why things are liquidated, right? You don't liquidate a company unless there's debt to pay. So it's almost almost by definition. And if you've got a small amount of debt, you don't need to liquidate because you can make you can pay the debt. By the yep. time you can't pay the debt, there's almost certainly nothing left. You're not going to get much, if anything. Yeah, yep. yep. cents on the dollar. Mate, last one from Adam, and then we'll wrap it up. Uh, great question. Hey, Adam says, hi guys. Thank you so much for not only answering my question on SMSF versus industry fund, but you did it on my birthday while I was on holiday in Noosa. Happy it was birthday. a nice surprise. You're welcome, Adam. We, yeah, exactly. Happy birthday. We did it on purpose, mate. Absolutely. We knew that. Uh, not really. This is more of a broad question, he says. You mentioned that if you were told you could only own ETFs, you would accept that. But, he says, if you could only hold just one ETF for the long term, he says in brackets, 20 years, which would you choose? Hmm. I would... <laughs> See, my 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 instinct is to say I like yeah. a, I you know I live in Australia. I'm I'm optimistic about our country's yep. future. Yep. Um, I don't have to worry about currency and that kind of stuff. So my instinct mm-hmm. is to say you know uh, VAS like the Vanguard ASX 300. I think it is, mm-hmm. but you know I'm actually like half my money's in two miners and four banks and yeah. Yeah, that's right. You know, not very diversified, is it? Not very diversified. There is another one out there. I know I forget the the code, but it is what they call an equal weight. Mm, mm, mm. So it takes the yes. ASX two hundred. I think it's the two hundred. One one of the yes, major ones. Right. Yeah, yeah. And it just puts uh, half a percent in every single position. Yeah, yeah. And I actually I, I, that resonates with me. That solves. It, it means that much smaller companies in that mm. pecking order get a much higher weight than they would in the in the regular kind of ETF. I don't mind that. Yeah, but I don't mind that. And it means that these these which you know we've just talked a bit about banks yeah. and miners before. I'm just at this point, they're not really my cup of tea. So I'd probably go for that. Um, I like the Nasdaq. I think the US is <laughs> just a fascinating country, but it is yeah. it is the home of capitalism. It is where the biggest and arguably the best technology companies are. Technology and the internet is here to stay. I, I find it very hard to imagine a future where a lot of these big players aren't around and. Radically changing the world, so I, I like I like the Nasdaq, the NDQ uh, ETF as well. Um, but if you really want to just make sure that you're as rock solid as you can, the MSCI World Index, just by by planet Earth. Yeah, you can do that too. Hard hard to hard to go past, isn't it? Yeah, 
Um, I'm trying to find... So I found the Equal Weight Index. It's a Van Eck product. MVW is the code. Um, it only has 89 companies in it, which makes me think it's probably just tracking the ASX100, but even then it's short. So okay. they say... Um, ASX listed companies across all sectors, including offshore companies which generate at least 50% of their revenues or assets from the Australian market. Mm. Oh, okay. So I'm not entire. You'd have to probably just check. I'm just trying to find the index now while we speak. It's all about the all about the uh, research, as you know, mate. We're all about, we're all about researching. <laughs> um, I cannot find the index that it tracks. It's obviously a small, it's a smaller one than 200. So it might be the 100. It might be, it might even be a, um, uh, it might even be a specific um the, the, well, while you're looking, the, the fortunate thing—it's a great question. I love—I mean, you know, it's a—it's mm-hmm. it's a great question, but but it's you know, it's it's based on a um, a false premise, and that is you don't oh, have God. to buy just one. You know, <laughs> and right? you, I was—I was waiting for you to completely avoid the question altogether, or say. Well, you know, I mean, I love oh, it yeah, because yeah, it's really yeah. sort of saying, you know, oh, yeah. if hold, hold a gun to your head, which one are you yeah, going to yeah, do? I love it, yeah, but yeah. but what I would probably do is I would yeah. probably buy a bit of the VAS, a bit of the NDQ. Yeah. Uh, maybe a bit of the equal weight, and you know, mm-hmm. go okay, go go do whatever I like to do. You've talked beautifully, mate, because it gets me to have a. I found the index. It's basically a self-created index. It's the MVIS Australia Equal Weight Index. Funnily enough, which is exactly what the product is. Um, the rules for the index are a market cap exceeding 150 million US dollars, three-month average trading trailing average daily trading volume of at least a million bucks, and at least a quarter of a million shares traded every month. So okay. it's 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 a it's an arbitrary index made up of those things, so big enough to be useful. But rules-based. Um, but rules-based. Exactly. Yeah. I will say the management fee is it's just over a third of a percent, which is not cheap relative to what Oshin mm. gets. Not mm. super expensive either. Um, I'm with you. Uh, just to wrap this up, I forced to... Oh, here's, the, here's the thing, right? It's funny when we think about shares, because we have access to the international markets, we think differently, right? All of my, all of my homes... Uh, in Australia, all my cars are in Australia, all my jobs are in Australia. We don't kind of think, well, I probably if we're going to buy one home, I probably should buy one internationally, just because you know Australia. It's funny how we do it with shares because we can, which is a great benefit. Mm. But it also really messes with your head because you're kind of trying to think about, well, what should I do then? Mm. And I'm kind of with you, right? The obvious, the easy, my instinctive answer was the Vanguard Global mm. ETF. It's the VGS is the code on the ASX because you get to buy the world. It's mm. the developed world, less Australia. By the way, it excludes Australia, which is not ideal, but they do it because you buy an Australian one here, so you don't need to double up, um, which mm. makes sense. Okay, yeah. um, but it, it means you're actually excluding Australia. You kind of what would you prefer? I still, oh, I think I'd go Australia, mate. Mm. I think I'd go Australia because I so which would be I would go VAS, which is the Vanguard ASX 300 index. Um, I like Vanguard because they're a not for profit, and while I love profit making companies, I think that the odds are good that Vanguard's going to be acting act my best interest for as long as they can, given the fund is owned by the investors. So just aligns the interest more. For me, for 20 years. I want to know that there's the best chance possible that I have no um, uh, uncomfortable surprises. So I'd go Vanguard, ASX 300 because that's their largest Australian-based one. Probably fundamentally, you've mentioned currency, mate. I can't imagine a scenario in which the currency deviates meaningfully and permanently, Mm. but I can't rule it out either. Mm. So if you literally said you've got one chip, you put it anywhere you want, but whatever happens to that chip, that's your entire future on that one chip. I would would love the returns of a global index because it's super diversified. I think that's a fantastic way to do it. But I don't think I could bring myself to say I'm gonna I'm gonna put my entire financial future um, on the hook based on, as, as, on a whole lot of other things, including the Australian dollar. And I think that that for me would be that whole. Is it likely? No, but you don't get to play the odds. A bit like we said before, with that ironically, with the first question about you know the the four out of ten and and, and how does it play out? Mm. This is the reverse of that, which is you're choosing to play only one chip, so you better play that safely because you don't get there's no second chance, mm. right? Mm. So the safest option for mine, yes, you're 
Is it more risky just in one country? Possibly. Is it riskier that, at, you know, in 20 years' time, is the dollar at 20 cents or $4? Maybe, probably not. But if it was at either of those two ends, you're either really, really, really happy or you're absolutely miserable mm. uh, that you that you you'd, you know, end up with a bad outcome. So I would... I'd probably go the ASX 300, I think. What I, another thing I'd say is that it's it's unlikely that whatever the spread is, we will know in 20 years yeah. which was the one to back. Yeah, exactly. But whatever whatever it is, yeah, I rule. find I, yep. it's going to be a really bizarre, it's possible, but it's going to be a very bizarre world where yeah. the Australian markets delivered 15% per annum and the yes. US markets delivered true. 3%. Like, that's it, true. They're going to cluster. So yeah. the difference is probably famous. Like, let's you know, someone will dig up <laughs> this from right. the archives in the year twenty forty two. Oh, bless you, Andrew said. Someone will do it too. They'll come up. I'm sure. The old, old podcast. Someone some go through their dad's old podcast machine and you know finds <laughs> this episode. Dad, what's this thing? It's a podcast <laughs> machine. So what does it do? It plays audio. Really? It doesn't go straight into our brains. No. What no. do I put these things in your ears? What? But Andrew said. But yeah. I just, I just, I don't see like. You, you might say that, oh, it turns out that this one was 10.3% per annum and this one yeah. was 9.7%. You know, it's, it's probably going to yeah, be something yeah. like that. So you can't go too wrong with any of those I think approaches. that's right, actually. I think that's right. I, yeah, look at it again. I, I don't, I'm not worried about the currency at all. I have half, more, than, uh, more than half, less than half now of my money in the US. Um, yeah, less because you know, some of them have fallen. But um, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not worried about the currency at all. But if you said literally, you know, what I do with a diversified portfolio across many, you know, a couple of dozen companies, maybe three dozen across Australia and, and America, um, I, I do with three com- with three dozen companies, not with one chip one, played once in one spot. That's a very different question. But I take, you're, you're absolutely right, mate. I, the chance of it happening are very small. And the fact they will be so close together probably mm. is exactly why we do it in Australia rather than take the currency risk because at net-net, mm. if you're buying an index, you're probably in the same kind of place. Yeah. Yep. That was a fun episode. That was. I think we enjoyed done. it. Before we go. If you do have questions for us next week for the mailbag, the very special mailbag, as we heard, first time ever, it's been called very. No, I'm kidding. Um, please let us know. Uh, if you're an email person, email us while you still have email. While email is still a thing, the cookies don't use it anymore, but to old people like us still do. And if you want to send us an email, info, I N F O, at fool.com.au. You can get us all on the Twitter machines. The only place you can get Andrew Page is exclusively on Twitter. Now Elon's running the place. Andrew may be elevated to um, some sort of special status. We'll have to stand by and find out. <laughs> But you can grab him at sage underscore Simeon or at strawman invest. You can get me on Twitter or Insta at TMF Scott P. You get The Motley Fool on Twitter or Insta at The Motley Fool AU. And if you're on Facebook, check me out, facebook.com slash Scott Phillips Money or facebook.com slash The Motley Fool Australia for our company page. And to speak of pages, thank you, Andrew Page from strawman.com. Thank you. I've been Scott Phillips from The Motley Fool. And until next Friday, full on. Full on. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. The Motley Fool operates under financial services licence 400691. Listener.